So there, there's no uh, Kingdom Builders video today. You may have noticed it's just me. You're like, wow, the picture quality is really poor today. It's me. It's my face. Um, what a blast, guys. Uh, October. Can I just tell you about October? This is an announcement. This is part of the message. The month of October, we're going to be doing a month-long outreach for the express purpose of winning people who today, this morning, do not know Jesus, but will by November 1st. And uh, we're excited about that. We're excited that our youth on Thursday nights, our children, I mean the nursery, every age group is going to be happening on Thursday nights, same bat time, same bat channel, but it's been an extraordinary new thing. It's called uh, Phenomena. It's called Phenomena. Sorry, remember it. And, um, and they're going to be taking kind of the dystopian views and Walking Dead. And, but it's going to be kind of a, a kid thing. Cause how many of you guys know that the, like, the zombie shows are creepy and we don't want that? But there's a lot of Walking Dead in our world today too. And so we're going to be talking to people on Thursday nights about that. But on Sunday morning, there's going to be a different version of the same message being preached in here. So you thought, I've been kind of waiting for the right time to invite a friend. I want to make sure it's this. I want to make sure it's that. I want to make sure it's kind of has people that don't know Jesus in mind. Like the whole month, every Sunday in October, we'll be doing an outreach to lead people to Christ. And I'm thrilled. This is my heart's cry. They say, well, I, I never know what to get you for Christmas or your birthday. Just invite someone that's so far from God, they hate me, to church on Sunday morning. So far from God, they hate us. So far from God, they hate God, right? Or don't believe it exists. Like, that is the greatest gift you can give me is an opportunity to share the message that changed my life forever with somebody that, that doesn't know what God has shown to all of us, So I, or most of us. Let me just say this. Um, it's exciting. It's thrilling. And it will probably never work unless... We understand the value of a soul. And, and so often we value things that have value, but less value than a human life, less value than eternity, less value than a heart forgiven, a life transformed, being born again. We, we value the political, we value the, the ethical, we value the, you know, and, and I tell you what, if souls were dollars, I bet you we'd have won a lot more of them to Jesus before now because we understand the value of a dollar. Does that make sense? Come on, capitalists, say amen. You know what I'm talking about? Socialists like, don't get it. Feel the burn. Capitalists like, yeah, I understand, right? The, and and, if, and if, if souls were votes, we'd have worked really hard to get 51% of them by now. True? But, but souls, we don't, if we don't grasp the value, let me just say this, the incredible value of a human soul, and it's very easy to put those conversations off. I don't know if you ever had the experience of the woulda, shouldas, and couldas when someone is no longer available to have a conversation. So why, why didn't we? Why, why did we work hard that week for the dollar? Why did we work that hard for a vote? But when it came to a soul, we let those moments come and go. So this is not to be a convicting or condemning message, but I hope that our eyes are open to what God sees when he sees people. And uh, all hands on deck. Uh, the Thursday night kind of application time that we have where we teach in here on Sunday morning, then we sit around tables and we enjoy Thursday night. That's going to be postponed for the month of October because it's just like Vacation Bible School. We want everybody that's involved in those Thursday nights to be involved in the upcoming Thursday nights. We want you greeting at the doors. We want you, you know, being with teams. We want you adding up scores. We want you out on the ball field with Pastor Les doing these games because somebody has to mend the broken bones. We need people of, like faith healers on, on the field because when Pastor Les plans the games, they generally require some sort of medical attention for at least one of the students, and it's, it's all good. Pastor Jason coined the phrase, if they're not bleeding, they're not having fun. I don't know if that's true or not, but we do that. So part of the preparation is the preparation of our hearts. It's our perspectives. It's our prayer time. It's our faith. And it's our desire to win the lost at any cost that doesn't cost us our belief. So let's start with a question. Why, why did God the Father send his son Jesus to mankind? 
Now, if you walk up to the guy on the street and you say, why, why did Jesus come? They may say, well, I don't believe he did. I believe it's a Hebrew myth that became a Gentile myth that became a Roman myth that became a... See, exactly, right? I, I, you walk up to somebody else that has a religious understanding. William Jesus was a good man. He, you know, he started a world religion, um, you know, as, as have others. Uh, his teachings have some profoundness to it, although I think they've been mistranslated, misinterpreted, and misunderstood for thousands of years. You know, that kind of stuff. How many guys know, but Jesus did not come to give us 10 new commandments because the last 10 were bad. And he certainly didn't come to start a world religion. And he certainly didn't become tempted to this earth to become the poster child for our political agendas. So why did Jesus come? And, and his motivation, what was the fruit that he desired? And I think we see it most clearly in this one. What is, what is the motivation for Jesus coming to earth? It's God loves the world. Because God loves people so much that the thought of forever without one single person the thought of forever with one missing face. You say, well, you know, billions of people over thousands of years. Is God that specific? I, you know, I don't know about you. I got two kids. I don't have two billion, but I got two kids. And if one is missing for Thanksgiving, their absence is noticed. And if they never have a chance to ever come back, their absence is mourned. And so I believe with all my heart that God loves the world so much that the thought of forever without one of us is so unthinkable that he did the unimaginable in sending Jesus to live a perfect life, to take on flesh, to dwell among us, to defeat everything that ever defeated any of us or all of us, and then offer his life as a sacrifice, something that paid for my sins, for your sins, for the sins of the world, motivated solely by love. He did not send Jesus to the world to start a religion that condemned people. Right? Let me just read that. Verse 17. For God did not send a son of the world to condemn the world, but to do what? Salvation is the key. What, why Jesus came, number one, we know, is because he wanted to save people. They didn't need a coach. They needed a lifeguard. They didn't need a teacher. They didn't need a comforter. They didn't need a guide. They needed someone who would dive into the fire and snatch us from our destiny and alter our eternity. What, what we needed was not a, a new coat of paint over rust. We needed the rust to be removed, the damage to be replaced. We needed a brand new life. And Jesus tells us this with his own words. The thief, the devil, he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. He goes, but I've come that they might have what? And, and to what amount? Like fullness. That word full doesn't mean full. It means overflowing. It's so full that it actually is leaking out of its container, flowing down the sides and, and infecting or affecting everything around it. What Jesus wants for us is for all the lies of the devil to be exposed through all the truth of relationship with Christ. And when we have that, Jesus is like, that's why I came. I want to destroy the slavery mentality. I want to destroy the, the, the identity issues. I want to destroy all the things that divide your hearts. I want to destroy Ohio State. Every evil thing on the planet is to be submitted. What's their, what's their win-loss record? Do you know anybody? Okay, never mind. We'll talk about it later, right? Like I said, division. He wants to destroy division, right? I love this. First John, John says about his, his friend Jesus, the Messiah, he says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Ah, oh, I love that. You know, Christianity is such a wonderfully kind religion. He goes, yeah, but the reason he came was to kick the devil's butt. The reason he came is because he loves people enough that when they're bullied, he wants to destroy the bully. He loves people enough that when they're lied to, he wants to destroy the liar. See, you're talking about a person? I'm not, listen, if it has flesh and blood, it's not our enemy. But often we, we, we operate knowingly or unknowingly in weapons that, that are not godly weapons. They're the world's weapons or the devil's weapons. So I just, I just want you to hear me. One of the reasons Jesus came, God loves us, so he sent Jesus to prove it. Because the Hallmark card just won't do. The first Ten Commandments, wonderful. 
but the word had to take on flesh and dwell among us or we still wouldn't have any idea what he was talking about. We had those commandments for a long time, guys, and the Pharisees had it so wrong that Jesus said, well, you're whitewashed tombs, <laughs> and you're nice and clean on the outside, but your hearts are like, like, like rotten, decayed, dead men's bones. Like it's not, you're not doing great. So the information needed the manifestation. And when the manifestation came, people got to say, oh, that's what that means. Oh, that's what God, that's who God is. By seeing Jesus, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He lived perfect theology before all mankind, and he's been written about and admired and believed in and trusted ever since. So here's the next question. How does God feel about people repenting of their sins? Now, we know why God sent Jesus, but, but what's his response when we do? I've heard people say, well, I've just been so bad. I mean, God might forgive me and let me sleep in like the single wide section of heaven. You know, the ones like by the swamp and the bayou where the gators come in during the spring into the house. Not a garage, but some sort of a leaning shed next to it. And, and the, the furniture was off the side of good people in heaven's furniture. They put on the curb. I took it to my single wife. Like, like it's, it's this belief that it's really unbelievable. The Bible actually gives us insight into what God's thoughts, his feelings are when it comes to people's salvation. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. I want to show you one of the greatest verses, one of the greatest chapters in, in all of human literature that reveals to us a joyous heart, a, a celebrating heart when people finally go, oh, that's who you are. Hear me. The greatest thing God could ever hear from your heart is some iteration of, oh, that's who you are. Because he knows what comes after. That's who you are. The next thing is, and so that means that's who I am. And when you realize that's who he is and that's who you are, now suddenly you realize what you have. Now we begin the journey of learning how to use all your dad's tools, all your dad's weapons. It's awesome. My grandkids are born. I've just recently gotten a, a weapon system that reaches out to about 1,600 yards. So that's over three quarters of a mile. And I uh, got to go use it a couple weeks ago and I hit a hand-sized target at six-tenths of a mile with it. It's, it's brilliant. It's amazing. It's, it's really incredible. I don't know how I held my breath that long. By the way, I didn't hit it first shot. It was like four boxes of ammo later. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Ping. I did it. That's all we need to talk about now. I hit the groundhog, right? You know? But I'm, I remember saying to my grandkids, I, I didn't even fire a shot of it yet, but my, my grandson had been born, my granddaughter was just born, and I looked at both of them and I said, whoever hits the first thousand-yard target gets Bapa's gun. Understand this. Our Heavenly Father has some weapons that we don't know how to use, but he wants to give them to us nonetheless. Why? Because he loves us. I want my kids to enjoy outdoors. I'm sorry, my grandkids to enjoy outdoors. I want them to enjoy shooting sports. I want them to know how to defend their home and their family. I, I want them to be patriots in the military if, if that's God's will. I mean, I really, really, really want them to know how to pull a trigger properly. You bunch of rednecks. Hey, man. I love it, right? So how does God feel about repenting? And this is, I believe, how he feels. Um, we, we get this in Luke chapter 15, and we'll look at 7, 10, and 32 to kind of get a feel for this. But the first one is a story about a guy that's got 99 sheep, and one wanders off. And where's his heart? Isn't it crazy? I've got 99 left. I'm doing pretty good, and the wolves got to make a living too. But that's not what he says. The parable's not really about sheep. It's about us. And so he says, there's one that wanders off. So he leaves the 99 in the open with somebody that's going to keep an eye on him, but he goes running after, chasing after, looking for what? The one. You say, that doesn't make any sense. That's economically improper. Just, just take good care of them, and 99 sheep will produce 900 sheep in the next two years. That's what sheep do. They make raisinets, they graze, and they make baby sheep. That's all they do, right? 
So take care of the nine. Don't worry about the one. But the parable is not about being a good shepherd. The parable is about being a good God. So there's one that's wandered off. He's outside the protection of the shepherd. It's lost. He doesn't have anybody. If a wolf comes, if a bear comes, if a deer comes, it's a sheep. Sheep are intended to follow the other sheep. They're, they're like schooled fish. All they do is they follow the butt in front of them. A sheep is never happier than when there's a sheep butt right there. And if they're on the outside of a herd, you watch them. They'll try to get on the inside of the herd. Why? Because I, my right flank is exposed. So they get inside, okay. If anything bad happens, it happens to him, 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 and her, but not to me. And that's when a sheep is happy. But there's one, and he looks around, and there's nobody. And the heart of the shepherd is, there's a sheep out there somewhere without a shepherd. I got to do something about it. He said, I don't get that. Let's do this. I have two sons. Um, you have how many kids you have, right? And if you don't, just pick a child or two that you like. Not any kid, kids you like, right? Uh, and, and there's a burning building, and you walk by it, and one son walks up to you and says, my brother's in there. Now, I'm a father. Am I excited about my son standing next to me? Do I love him? But where's my heart? My heart is not with the son that's safe. My heart is with the son that's still inside of a burning building. That's what he's talking about. It's, there's 99 that are safe. That's awesome. But there's one that's not. And if you're a parent or you're God, the father, that, that doesn't matter how many are in the church this morning. I believe, in, and I don't mean to say this wrong way. I know that God loves us. Please understand the illustration. But God's heart was probably more at Scooter's bar last night than it is at, at first assembly this morning. Why? Because his heart, he's glad that we're safe. He's glad that we're saved. He's excited that his family, he's looking at eternity and we're there. That's wonderful. But how many of you guys know he doesn't just have us as his kids? There's a lot more outside there than there are in here this morning. We talk about the value of a soul. You got to hear me. I love that we had great church programs. I love that we have great Bible schools. I love that we have great groups. I love that we have discipleship. I love that all of our teachers are brilliant, humble, and good looking. I mean, as you know, God still has kids that are outside the camp. So for us to have his heart and have no concern for where his heart truly is, it's kind of my job this morning to say, do you realize, although God is overjoyed with the decisions we've made, his heart is breaking for those who have not made the same decision. So what's his reaction when he finds this one lost sheep? It says this, I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner, over one person that doesn't know how far they are from God, realizing not only how far they are from God, but how close God is to them. There'll be more rejoicing in heaven when their eyes open, when their ears open, when their hearts open to the Lord. One person who changes their mind, who repents, and over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I love that. The next parable he talks about is the lost coin. There's a woman that has a series of coins. She loses one of them, and she freaks. Um, there's no sense of husband. There's no sense of children. There's a sense of community around her, but it's, it's like this is what she has. She's got 10 coins. One's gone. So she lights a lamp. She sweeps it. She looks for it. And, and what God's doing in this context is he's talking about the value. How many of you guys know that people have value? Boy, it, it, you're making me a little nervous this morning. I'll be really honest with you. Now, can't you talk about prosperity? What, how to improve my marriage? I... And maybe you're not saying that. Maybe it's just my, my jaded heart. But if we don't get this right, I really don't care about anything else that we get right. Can I just be honest with you? If we don't get the value of lost people right, then we've got to stop saying things like win the lost at any cost and say entertain the saved at any raved. Yes, I just made that up. And no, it wasn't proper English. But you understand what I'm saying? Like, we have a heart, we have a commission, we have a call to take a broken uh, father's heart to the nations. 
And I'm not trying to put guilt on you or make you feel something. I'm teaching scripture this morning that God's view of those who are lost, if it's different from my view, my view has to change. I have to see what he sees. So he speaks of, of the worth of a soul. There's, there's one coin missing, and she freaks. She's like, well, I'll find it tomorrow. It's, it's missing. My, the, the value of that is so great to me that everything stops. And she goes looking for it. She sweeps the house. She lights the lamp. Effort, effort. She goes after the one that's missing. She goes after the one, just like the separate one, after the one who is missing, because there's value here. And I would ask you, what do you believe the value of a soul is? Anybody have any idea? I mean, what's the value of your kid to you? What's the value? Like, if they needed a kidney and you had two, who wouldn't take a dull spoon and dig it out and give it to them? Not, not because that would be a pleasant experience, but because that's your kid. There's something in you that, that makes them more important than you are, regardless of the circumstances. So God is deciding the worth of mankind by what he's willing to pay for mankind, and that is a part of himself. I love that Jesus is the sacrifice for my sins because I know that the devil, that man, that courts, judges, condemners, accusers can never go before God and say, you didn't pay enough for Jim Wiegand after what Jim Wiegand did. How many of you know there is no higher price than the Son of God being paid for, uh, paying for the sins of, of the sons of men? The last one, that's what he says here again. She says, in the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Isn't that interesting? If I'm understanding this right, it's not saying the angels are rejoicing. Do you see that? So there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Who's doing the rejoicing? I'm just thinking. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels over God. Uh, I'm sorry, of angels of God over one sinner who repents. So what I think that's saying, if I'm understanding it, if we're just taking it at face value, what it's saying is the angels are sitting back while God the Father God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit go. <laughs> you want to make God happy? Quit cussing, quit chewing, and quit running with girls that do. Or lead your neighbor to Jesus if you want heaven to have a standing ovation. I'm all for worshiping God, but I would also say this. Please be very clear in your theology that one of the things that pleases God most, as we see here, the angels stand back in awe as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit go. Last one's the prodigal son. There was a man who had two sons, and one said, give me my inheritance. He takes it, he splits, he dishonors his father. He goes to a far-off land where he squanders it. He spends it on wild living, prostitutes, but then after all of his money's gone, a famine strikes the land, and he finds himself in need and hungry. He's not ready to go back yet, but he's ready to try to get a job, so he gets a job feeding pigs. He's the servant of unclean animals, like, like the parable's telling of how far the son has fallen from grace. He finds the most despicable. He's working for non-Jewish people. He's almost like a slave to the pigs, and, and finally he comes to his senses because he's dying. He's sick, he's emaciated, he's starving. He says, you know what, my father has servants that are treated. I'll go back and I'll just say, please make me a slave. Like just, I don't deserve to be a son, but please don't let me, like have pity on me. One time before I dishonored you, we had a relationship, but that relationship's gone. Please just, please don't let me die. I'm so hungry, I'm so emaciated, I'm so sick, I'm so scared. Please just, please help me. And he comes back and his father sees him and he runs to him. The only time God ever runs in scripture, he's not running from anything. He's running to someone coming home. He wraps his arms around this filthy, skinny kid, and, the, and he starts this monologue. Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I've done this. I've done that. And he says, stop. Quick. Kill the fatted calf. Bring a ring. Bring some sandals. Bring some, I, I want his nakedness covered because I will tell his story, not his body. 
I will tell who he is, not what he's done. Who he is is who I say he is, not what he has done. So wrap him in that righteousness. Put sandals on his feet and separate him from the world that's harmed him and made him filthy. Put a ring on his finger and give him back his identity, the signet ring of our family. He can walk down to the party store and get an ice cream just by putting that ring in some wax. It's a, pay, it's a, it's a credit card. You have all the rights, all the privileges. Your past is gone. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to celebrate. What does God think about people coming home to Jesus? Right? He says this, we had to celebrate. We had to be glad because this brother of yours, this is another conversation, he was dead, but now he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. Please understand, guys, salvation is the greatest and most important miracle God does. Um, When I was 16 years old, somebody took a huge risk. They put on clothes that didn't look like church clothes. They grabbed instruments that were not church instruments. They wrote songs that were people just like me and nobody else. They quit their jobs. They sold their homes. They bought a van. They put their guitars and their perm curlers and their speakers, and they pulled them behind. They went from town to town. If those men hadn't understood the value of a lost soul, those men didn't know what it was like to be me. If those men didn't know what it was like to live without a Savior, they'd have never done it. And nobody would have known when they had their church job singing their song. And there's nothing wrong with church jobs singing songs. Extraordinarily talented people could have a job in any church setting. But there was something that God put specifically on them, not all of us, but on them to do something to reach people that were never going to be reached in a church setting. If you walk into a church when you're an addict who's living in your car, who's Huckleberry Finning his life, who's showing up so rarely to, to, to school that his nickname is Every Other Day Weekend, and you walk into a church setting, you don't hear a word they say because what they're saying is not for people like you. So someone found a way to find the one that had wandered off. Someone found a way to light a lamp and sweep a floor and find me. Someone found a way to, to create the dynamic where I believe God was actually welcoming me home, not judging me for my distance from him. And I know it's been a long time, like decades, but there's something in my heart that is so grateful for people that saw me when I was invisible, that, that knew me when I was a statistical number in the war on drugs, that saw a value in me that, that came around me that eventually discipled me, that let me eat in their homes, that let me learn how to be a husband and a father and all the things. And I, I mean, I have great parents and they taught me all those things one form or another. But how many of you guys know your mom and dad can tell you the same thing a stranger tells you and the stranger's right? Right? Those people that came into my life. So what I'm trying to say is this. We're going to have hundreds of kids come through this room on Thursday nights. Hundreds of kids come through those rooms. We're going to have thousands of people walk through this room on, on Sunday mornings. If we don't understand what we're actually doing here, it'll feel like an interruption to our usual church schedule versus an opportunity to change somebody's life who 40 years from now, should Jesus tarry, will stand on a stage like this one and say, if it wasn't for those people, that crazy church in Fenton that built the skate park, that, that barbecued the, the, the food and fed us. I came for the food. I came for the, right? If we don't do everything to win the lost at any cost, then we got to change our motto. 
but I'm not ready to change the motto. I'm ready to fight the devil and destroy the works of the enemy. I'm ready to go after what God says is valuable. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to leave tradition. I'm ready to, I, I'll be honest, I don't mean that. I'm ready to leave pastoring. I'm, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to leave everything but Dina Wiegand and Jesus Christ to find somebody and lead them to Christ. Why? Because I have in my own heart, from my own story, a certain understanding of the value of a human soul. And forgive me, but it's a lot more valuable than a lot of things I give a lot of value to. And so I feel like I'm almost publicly repenting because the greatest miracle God does is this one. Like, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old stuff is gone, right? The new stuff is here. Romans, there's no condemnation. There's no more penalty for those that are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set us free from the law of sin and death. Like John 3, 3, we are, we are literally given a second chance at life. Only this time we have a father. Only this time we have the Holy Spirit. Only this time we have the truth of the word of God. Only this time we got a better than a snowball's chance in hell of actually wrecking the works of the devil. And that's where I'm at today is saying to you as a congregation, are we ready to reach the lost? Are we ready to, I'm not saying what we're doing is inferior, but what I'm saying what we're doing is incomplete. If we're not winning hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to Jesus, somebody say amen now. All right, you got it. I even gave you when to do it, right? So what do we need to do in the next six minutes, right? I, I think it's what we need to do. I think we need to, we need to see when Jesus was leading his disciples through the very process we're, we're walking into right now, by the way, after a long time of just kind of taking care of ourselves, it's a little bit hard to start to care about others. This is, I'm not saying this is natural. I'm saying this is supernatural, but I am saying we all need it. So we have to see. When Jesus said to his disciples, fellas, it's not just about the fish you catch or the taxes you collect. It's not just about your wife or your kids or your community or your ideas. There's something greater that we're fighting for here. And so I want you to do this. I want you to open your eyes. I want you, don't you say like four more months and then the harvest, like we got plenty of time. Like, no, I'm telling you right here, right now, there are people being saved and we're missing out on it. There's people that are ripe. There's people that are ready. So the first thing Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to open your eyes. Freedom Center, are you ready? I think God wants us to open our eyes. And I think one of the reasons I don't like to open my eyes is I hate what I see. It's overwhelming. The stories of the lost, the stories, the, the addictions, the problems, the issues, the, the mess, the muck. But I, I understand this. I'm leading them to my Savior. I am not their Savior. So what they need first and foremost is Jesus. They don't need, they don't need Freedom Center. They don't need Pastor Jim. They don't need you. The first thing they need is for their eyes to be open. They go, that's who you are. And God goes, Freedom Center. I don't know, but maybe on Jesus' arm there's a tattoo that says FCC. I hope for that, right? Like, I'm just so proud of my kids. How many guys tattoo and inscribe your names, right? So we're going to have to see. The second thing, we're going to have to ask. He says this in Matthew chapter 9. Chronologically, this is correct. He told them to see first. He told them to ask second. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers is really the issue. So he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get on your face. Like, so once you've seen what you see, when you pray, when you walk, when you don't turn the channel, when you do open your eyes, when you walk down the street of your own neighbor and you look and you see a big thing full of beer bottles and you see a toy in the front yard and you realize that kid's old man's an alcoholic. When you walk down the street and you hear that, and the police show up, you realize that family is better at division than unity. When you walk down the street and, and you see that the, the, the yard's unkept and the, the kids are dirty, you go, man, something's going on in that family. When you walk, when you see, you'll see things you don't want to see. In every neighborhood of this community, by the way, I live in a beautiful neighborhood, but when I walk the neighborhood, I see things I don't want to see. We're going to have to open our eyes to see. Second thing, we're going to have to ask because once you see what you see, you realize there's nothing you can do about it. 
I can't walk in and knock, knock, knock. Hey, I see there's a bunch of empty beer bottles on your... Uh, can I have those? We're raising money for the football team, number one. But number two, like there used to be a bunch of bottles in front of my car. I get it. You okay? Like, how many of you guys know, if you don't know your neighbor, maybe not the best introduction. So what do we do? We pray, God, I, God, please. Because they have kids, because they have marriages, because they have destinies, because they're losing hope, because they will lose hope. And, and then when they lose hope, bad things, worse things, final things happen. Like, God, please. And when you pray, I love this, Jesus answers their prayer. Chapter 9, verse 37 is the last verse of chapter 9. Pray, ask the Lord to send laborers. Verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 1. So this is the very next verse. So God calls him and says, I, Jesus calls him, hey, good news. God's answering your prayer. He's sending laborers. And they're like, oh, we saw the problem. Our hearts were broken. We prayed and asked God what they do about it, and now God's sending people. Who's God sending? Jesus goes, well, you saw so clearly. You prayed so deeply. You are now qualified to be the people that I give authority to, people I give power to, insight to, gifts of the Holy Spirit to. You're the people now with a broken heart, with a compassion heart, they'll have the courage to reach out to people. Jesus called his 12 to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits, heal every disease and sickness. He goes on and on with what he gives them. I just, I just want to show you the point is this. I believe that you're like, man, why doesn't God use me more? You got to open your eyes and see things you don't want to see. You got to ask that God would do something about that. And you got to obey when God says, I've got good news. I'm going to answer your prayer. And it's you. So the last one is this. Piano guy, join me if you would. Just will you open your eyes? We ask and obey. I fear I failed you this morning uh, a couple times. Maybe, maybe it's just me or maybe I just had a really tough couple of weeks. Um, but I feel like we haven't connected the way I was hoping that we would connect. And maybe that's my fault. Maybe that's your fault. Maybe, maybe God hasn't quite put his finger on it. Or maybe I'm the last person to know. I always associate quietness with you're not getting it. And sometimes quietness is, oh, I'm getting it. I, I can't, I just would rather not smile right now because I'm trying not to cry or I, I'd rather not cry right now. I'm trying not to smile. I, I don't know. But let's just consider this the beginning of a conversation that's going to continue next week because we have to come back. I, I, think, I think to get me outside of my life, my world, my preferences, my ups, my downs into the world around me. And I'm not using Jimmy or pastor. I know. What that means is I have a lot of mandatory relationships that have to be maintained well. And I get the worst of the worst of the worst that walk into my office. And I don't mean the worst people, but the worst circumstances, the most painful, the most difficult things. So it's a, you open your eyes. It's like I'm trying to close my eyes for five minutes to take a nap. I can't tell you the number of nights of sleep I've missed recently. Just the burdens, you know, that are on you at times. So maybe, maybe I'm a couple, a couple steps in front and you're trying to catch up. Maybe it's been a great Sunday and I'm the last person. No, I don't know, but I know this. If we get this, if we get this, there are people that woke up in a strange bed this morning next to someone they met last night because they went looking for the same love the woman caught in the act of adultery went looking for. She found the condemnation of her community until she met Jesus and then Jesus set her free. If we get this right, the up and outer, the, the tax collector, the little guy, Zacchaeus, who had a Napoleonic complex, it's going to run into Jesus real soon. And in that interaction, Jesus is going to save him. And he says, here and now, half of what I've stolen from people, it's just, I'm just giving it away to the poor because I'll never get it back. And if I've wronged anybody, I'll pay them back like four times, five times, seven times. Like, and Jesus goes, salvation came to this house. Not because a sermon was preached, because there was a revelation of who Jesus is. I realize today that this is worth fighting for because 
there, there are people like I was at 16, they're 16 years old. They've been told there is no God that stand in front of the mirror and take a picture and that's, that's your identity. How many clicks, how many likes, how many, you know, people say you influenced me, whatever. And they're going to realize the emptiness and the vanity of those things when they meet one who says you are beautiful before you even put it on. You're beautiful before you even, you know, tucked it in or stuffed it out or whatever you did in front of the mirror. Before you ever, you know, photoshopped you, you were, you were great before you started because you're my little girl, because you're my son. I realize that if we get this right, there are countless lives and stories. And Just by a show of hands, how many of you guys, you're, you were raised in church, whatever, but I mean, someone, somebody led you to Jesus. Can I see your hand? They led me to Jesus. So Father, we know the importance of that person or those people. We know the importance of the time and the, the moment when it's right. We know that men don't save men. Whatever is born of water is born of water. Something has to be born of spirit, and that's your work. But it isn't that we don't have a role in that. There's a great commission. There's a, there's a, a commandment to open our eyes, to ask, to, to, to go. So if this is just for me, then I've wasted everybody's time, and I think we'll all get over it. But I, I suspect it's not just for me. People we love are in burning buildings. People we had never met before are in burning buildings. People that hate people like me are in burning buildings. It, it doesn't seem to matter when what's at stake is not opinions, but eternities. And I pray, God, I pray, I pray. Send laborers. Open eyes. Anoint with great power. This body of believers for the days that are ahead. In the end, I, I fear this may be the only thing that really makes it all worth it. <laughs> Decades of fidelity come down to moments of destiny. And I pray, God, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray. Jesus, open our eyes. Open our hearts. Open our mouths. You're here today and you're like, I... I don't quite know what's going on. It's my first Sunday, or man, I you're just I don't I don't get what's happening. I misunderstood something. I, I get that. But I, I would also say this, you're here today, you're like, no, I when you talked about my value to God as a, as a person that was lost, I thought I had to get in shape before I could go to the gym. I thought I had to get sober before I, I went to AA. I thought I had to be a good Christian before I came to church and was qualified to give my life to Jesus, but nothing could be further from the truth. We will never be qualified. You know, outside of Jesus, he's the qualifier. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You're like, Jim, you know, I'm, I'm not right with God. Um, I know that. I, I feel it. I'm aware of that. I'm not, I'm not just talking about the one thing I did or the 10 things I do. I'm just, just me. I just, I just, I, I mean, if I have a hard time liking me, how can a holy God like me? I have a hard time loving parts of my life. How can, how can a holy God love my life? And so I, I don't know what to do next. This is what you do next. This is the door. This is the gate. <laughs> this is the way. This is the truth. This is the life. His name is Jesus. And he, as a person, as the son of the living God, took on flesh and dwelt among us, lived perfectly, defeating everything that defeated you. Everything that's got your number right now, he's got its number. Everything that's giving you death, he is, he's already died to pay for the consequences of your actions. And now he extends to you life. He defeated death. 
and he can give his victory now to you it's simple will you give your life to Jesus and will you let him give his life to you heads about eyes are closed in a moment I'm going to ask you to do a simple act of obedience as simple like as simple as we can make it it's the first step in a journey around the universe but it's a step and it's an important one if your heart is open and this message is resonating and the time to make a decision has come if you go oh that's who he is that's who I thought he was a religion I thought like if your eyes have been open that's not he's not a religion he's not a prude he's not a religious guy he's not a Sunday he's not the Old Testament you know uh, scriptures he, he's he's the living embodiment of every good and perfect gift and today you're ready to say I, I, I want that I, I'll take that and I'll give him me if that's you in a moment I'm asked that open heart to become a lifted hand no one's looking my eyes will be open nobody else but if you have an open heart the first step of faith would be a lifted hand like I today's my day I walked in dating many gods many philosophies many religions many ideas but today I walk out engaged to be married to the Son of God. Today a covenant will be formed. Today I give my life and all of my yesterdays and all of my tomorrows to Jesus. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand up in this room right now, all over this room. Here's my life, Lord. Here's my life. I love that. Thank you. Here's my life, God. Here's my life, God. I'm not ashamed. I'm not afraid. Here's my life, God. Here's my life. Here's my life. I don't know why I'm waiting, but I am. I, and I, I just, I mean, I feel the Holy Spirit saying there's, there's another person. I'm not trying to milk this. I swear to you, I'm not. But there's somebody else like, no, nah, I've been waiting. Uh, maybe next time, it, like, come on. If your heart's open, raise your hand today. God, here's my life. Here's my life. Here's my life. Thank you. That was worth the wait, wasn't it? Father, for every uplifted hand, there's an open and courageous heart. It's, it's not courage to, to move mountains. It's, it's courage to approach boldly before the mountain mover, asking for mercy, knowing that we receive it. I thank you for your blessing on this group of people. I can't remember the last time we said, who wants Jesus? And someone did say yes. I thank you, God, for people that invite people. I thank you for people whose eyes are open. I thank you, God, that now journeys have begun that will literally just span eternity and I pray for every uplifted hand and every open heart God now come in all that you are Father fill them with all the goodness all the love all the joy fill them with your Holy Spirit teach them your word remove their yesterdays as far as the east is from the west birth all their tomorrows in an instant the devil's work for generations destroyed in an instant of great grace the greatest miracle God will ever do we thank you for being witnesses of a great miracle today now bless us as we go to pray to open our eyes to move with a beautiful eloquent violence upon a dark world in Jesus name and everybody said amen amen stand your feet please if you would and uh, yeah I love the first service because I get to practice for the second service thank you for that as you go today, would you just kind of hug a few people if they're up to it? It's good to see your face. And maybe as God lays other people's faces and names on your hearts, don't, don't be shy. Open your eyes, open your hearts, pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers and don't be surprised if you're the one that he sends. And you're dismissed. God bless you. Live long, prosper. We'll see you again soon. Next week, we're going to do it again.